Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. So, you know, one of the great things about having your kids getting older is that they start to like some of the things that you like to do, right? You know, instead of having to watch Teletubbies, you might get to watch a show that you really want to watch because you can finally watch it with them. Well, my oldest, um, who's in the room, but I won't embarrass her. Well, I guess this is embarrassing enough. A high school student is now watching the movies I love. In fact, she asked me for a list of movies to watch. I think it was last year. And uh, so I gave her a list of the movies I love to watch, and she's been making her way through those, some of which we've watched together. And also, um, she's been reading the books I enjoy too. And so just a few weeks ago, she was telling me about a book she was reading in school, and I realized that it was a book of a movie that I'd seen, or a movie adaptation, but I'd never read, okay? Uh, it's called Into the Wild. Anyone ever seen the movie Into the Wild? I've got a handful of you. Anyone read the book? Maybe a few of you as well. Okay. And she encouraged me to read the book. And I happened to pick up a free copy in one of those little library boxes that are around the island. I think it was the one by Scott Poole. And I also suggested to her that we watch the movie together. And we did that as well. I remembered enjoying it back in 2007 when it came out. It's hard to believe it's 15 years ago when it was first re- uh, released. And she would have been one years old at that time. And I also remembered that it had won various awards and was nominated for some Oscars too. So it was a pretty good movie. Well, we sat down to watch the movie one evening, and as tends to happen with me, I fell asleep halfway through. (laughs) Not because it's a bad movie, it's just that TV has this kind of somnambulic, soporific effect on me that as soon as I get on the couch, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is great, and I fall asleep. It's perhaps like my sermons for some of you. Now, in case... Yeah, I heard that. (laughs) Now, in case you haven't read or seen the movie, though, Into the Wild is a true biographical story. Okay, it's a 1996 non-fiction book written by John Krakow who tells the story of Christopher McCandless. He was a young man who hiked across North America into the Alaskan wilderness in the early 1990s. And he was freshly graduated from college um, with a promising future ahead of him. But instead, he walks out on this comfortable life that he has and into the wild in search of adventure. And on his journey to Alaska, McCandless encounters various people through the part-time jobs he takes and the people who give him rides when he's hitchhiking. Well, one of these people is a man called Ronald France, and the name has been changed, but this is a real person. And France is an 80-year-old man who takes this particular shining to McCandless over a few months, or the few months that he knows him. He even offers to adopt him at one stage, so great does his love uh, come for McCandless. But McCandless turns him down and presses on towards his goal of being in the wilderness of Alaska. But on the way to Alaska, he writes a letter to France sharing his hopes and concerns for Ron. It's fairly lengthy, but I'm going to read you a sizable chunk. So listen to this. He says this, I'd like to repeat the advice that I gave you before and that I think you really should make a radical change in your lifestyle and begin to boldly do things which you may have previously never have thought of doing or been hesitant to attempt. So many people live within unhappy circumstances and yet will not take the initiative to change their situation because they are conditioned to a life of security, conformity, and conservatism, all of which may appear to give one peace of mind, but in reality nothing is more damaging to the adventurous spirit within a man than a secure future. The very basic core of a man's living spirit is his passion for adventure. 
McCandless continues, if you want to get more out of life, Ron, you must lose your inclination for monotonous security and adopt a helter-skelter style of life that will at first appear to you to be crazy. But once you become accustomed to such a life, you will see its full meaning and its incredible beauty. And so, Ron, in short, get out of Sultan City and hit the road. I guarantee you will be very glad you did, but I fear that you will ignore my advice. You think that I am stubborn, but you are even more stubborn than me. You had a wonderful chance on your drive back to see one of the greatest sights on earth, the Grand Canyon, something every American should see at least once in his life. But for some reason incomprehensible to me, you wanted nothing but to bolt home as quickly as possible, right back to the same situation which you see day after day. I fear you will follow this same inclination in the future and thus fail to discover all the wonderful things that God has placed around us to discover. You know, it's strange to hear a guy in his 20s giving advice to a guy in his 80s, right? But it was well-meaning, and they loved each other, and France actually receives it well, and he acts upon it and chooses to take a risk, buy a camper, and hit the road and go see the world. Now, why do I share this? Well, if you are paying attention to our Bible readings for today, you'll see that they both contain a call to go out, to hit the road, to go on some kind of helter-skelter adventure, if you will, to take a supposed risk and leave the security of the things we know. Now, in one of the accounts, it's more explicit than the other, but they both reveal that there's a charge to Jesus' disciples by Jesus to leave Jerusalem. And what we'll see today and for the rest of the summer is that Christians are a sent people, not a static people. We've talked about this before. Christians are a sent people, not a static people. We are one of those rare organizations in the world that exist for those who are not yet members. That's what Archbishop William Temple once said. We exist for those who are not yet members. And while many of us may not go to the end of the earth, We're all called, all of us who call ourselves believers, to go to others with the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And yet many of us will miss the adventure that God's calling us into. And we'll settle for a life of static security and blissful ignorance, rather than risk living in the power of the Spirit and being led by him each day. You know, McCandless may not have gotten it all right. But he knew that we're called to something more than what most of us settle for. That we're called into an adventure story with God, following the lead of his spirit each and every day, and with all the inherent risk that can bring. So let's turn to our reading from Acts chapter 1 and see what God would say to those who have ears to hear. And today we begin a new sermon series, as I just alluded to. We're looking at a book now that's become known as the Acts of the Apostles. And it's a historical book. It's in the vein of the Gospels, which isn't surprising, as it's most likely and most certainly written by the author of Luke's Gospel, the physician and follower of Jesus, Luke. Now, while this isn't explicit in our opening passage, where Luke writes, in the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. His name isn't mentioned there. It's actually implicit throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And if you've not read the book in one sitting, I encourage you to go home today, tomorrow, and spend an hour or so just reading through the whole gospel, uh, sorry, the whole book as one story. But it's generally been accepted that Luke is the author since the second century. 
And the book really does sound like a continuation of Luke's gospel, Luke part two, if you will. Plus, as I mentioned last week, it's really a continuation of the his story that we've been going through this past year. Luke is revealing how God continues his plan to draw people back into relationship with him. Remember, there was a fall thousands of years ago and sin entered the world. And we, as a result, are people separated from God on a terrible path towards our ultimate destruction. And so he sets in place a rescue plan, beginning with the Israelites and then moving into the New Testament through Jesus and the disciples. And this time, it's not the nation of Israel that he's going to use. No, he's going to use uh, his people, the church, people from all nations, not just one nation. I like how friends of mine, uh, their pastors in England, Anne and Gavin Calver, how they put it in their book, Unleashed, the Acts Church Today. They say this, we love the fact that the book of Acts is called Acts. It's not called Facts. It is not named after Luke or Paul. It is about the acts of the apostles as they begin to live out the greatest commandment and commission of Christ. It is acts, not facts, although we believe it to be completely true, not just a narrative that we're called to digest and reflect on, but one that the Lord, by the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, invites us all to participate in. If we get to participate in the story of Acts today, N.T. Wright puts it this way, what we're reading from this moment on is the opening scene or set of scenes in a play whose action we ourselves are meant to continue. We pick up and carry on these Acts of the Apostles. Yes, it's not just some dusty history book, but rather a story, an adventure story that even 2,000 years on, we get to participate in as we are called outward bound by Jesus. So let's turn to Acts. And I want to focus in particular on one verse, just one verse like I did last week. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus' final words to the disciples before he ascends to heaven. And last week, if you remember, we ended the sermon by taking the time to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, okay, to come fill us, something that we'll see happen for the disciples next week in our Pentecost reading. And without him, without his indwelling power, none of what we're about to talk about is possible. None of it, okay? Not for those first disciples and not for us either. Please hear that. It's like trying to breathe without having lungs or without having oxygen. But once we've been filled with the Spirit, anything God asks of us becomes possible. Anything that he asks of us becomes possible. And what does he ask of his first disciples? Well, it's the same thing that he asks of his followers today, to be outward bound, to take the gospel That's the call for all people to repent and believe in Jesus and to take the work of the kingdom, acts of healing, mercy, justice, forgiveness, etc., and to bring it to the world around us. Again, hear what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now notice first, though, and this is really important, They are to wait for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. Again, without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing for Jesus. He's the one who empowers us to serve him and to love others. And we're called not to force this, but to join him in what he's already doing in the world. It's taken decades for me to figure this one out. 
I'm meant to join him in what he's already doing. Do you hear that? I'm meant to join in what he's already doing. It's not that Jonathan has to kind of somehow uh, force God to work. No, God's already at work, and we come alongside and we partner with him if we're led by the Spirit. Otherwise, it becomes a very exhausting, exhausting encounter. My next-door neighbor yesterday decided he would get his kayak out for the first time, I think, in a few years. And uh, I I helped him put the kayak on on his car. And he told me his son was swimming in the six-mile race. Anyone hear about there's a six-mile race every year? Um, Fred Reeson, sadly, departed now. used to be here. Uh, He used to swim it every year. And they race, uh, I think it's from Daniel Island, maybe or somewhere up the Wando, all the way down past Patriots Point, six miles. Now, they do it with the current, which isn't meant to make it sound easy. It's still six miles, right? But they do it with the current, so it's a little bit easier. And my friend Brandon decided, well, you know what? I'm going to follow my son with my kayak. Really nice idea, great idea. What he didn't think about, and I didn't think about when he was loading the kayak, was how's he going to get home? Yeah, I was like, how's he get back? When he gets back against the current, because it hadn't turned yet. So there's Brandon kayaking back against, and he got back at about, I think it was about two in the afternoon, and the guy looked exhausted, you know. But he had made it. He said he had to stop at Remley's Point for a drink. Like, he's like, anyone got any water? I need some water. But he made it. But when we work with God, it's like going with the current, with the Holy Spirit's leading. When we don't do that and we try and force things, it becomes like going against the current, trying to paddle upstream, okay? As R.T. Kendall puts it, if we have the word without the spirit, we tend to dry up. If we have the spirit without the word, we tend to blow up. If we have both spirit and word, we tend to grow up and fire up. When each is properly joined in common union, there is explosive power to be had. And what do we need this explosive power for? Well, as we see again in verse 8, It's to be a witness for Jesus. A witness is typically someone who testifies in a court of law, right? You've seen the the law dramas, whether it's L.A. law, CSI, whatever. You get the witnesses. They come to the stand. They testify about something they've seen and they've experienced. And when we come to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection in our lives, we become witnesses to his saving grace. Witnesses to a miracle, in fact. Have you ever thought about that? When, When you came to know Jesus... A miracle happened. Because you might say, I've never seen a miracle. Trust me, if you know Jesus, you have seen a miracle happen. Because there's no way that would have happened apart from Jesus and the work of his spirit. But you're not only a witness to that. You're a witness to the freedom that he offers to all people who follow him. You're a witness to his healing power. You're a witness to his joy and his peace. You're a witness to his provision. You're a witness to his strength in our weakness. You're a witness to his forgiveness and mercy, his compassion and comfort, and the list goes on and on. Yes, each one of us who knows Jesus has a story to testify about, a unique story, but one grounded in the bigger picture of his story. And as the word witness implies... It's a story that's meant to be shared. You see, ours is not a private faith. In fact, there is no such thing. Sometimes I hear people tell me that. They'll say, well, mine's actually a private faith. I keep it to myself. But there's no such thing. As Jim Wallace puts it, faith is always personal, but never private. Faith is always personal, but never private. What does he mean? He means that you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, yes, But that relationship is for the sake of others. 
It's not just for you, you, me, and Jesus. Okay? It is something that's meant to be lived out. Just as engines are part of a vehicle and hearts and minds are a part of a body, personal faith must lead to public action. Jesus sends out his followers to take his message to the ends of the earth. This is what faith is. And a privatized, individualized belief system is not authentic Christianity. Imagine if a witness in a court case was to say to the lawyer cross-examining them, yes, I saw the incident that you're questioning me about, but I can't really talk about it. It's a private matter, right? Would they therefore be a valuable witness? No way. They would be just chucked, thrown out of the court right away. They're not a valuable witness. The same is true of us. The same is true of us. You cannot say mine is a private faith. You clearly haven't read the scriptures if you say that. As Peter puts it, we are called to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. And if every disciple had believed the Christian faith is a private faith, guess what? The church would have died out within one generation. One generation. We would not be sat here today. No, friends, every follower of Jesus is a missionary. Repeat after me. I am a missionary for Jesus. Makes some of you feel uncomfortable. Some of you couldn't even say it, right? <laughs> that might just be my accent. I don't know. But some of you, that was a real struggle. Because you think, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Missionaries, they go to places like um, the Philippines or China or Africa or somewhere, right? That's what missionaries do. No, 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 no. Missionaries are people, they're followers of Jesus. That's all it means to be a missionary. Because we live our mission. Say, I am a missionary for Jesus. I am a missionary for Jesus. If you profess to follow Jesus, then you are a missionary. Okay, that's what you are. You live on mission because we're each called to engage with the world around us and to seek an encounter between our beliefs and a world of desperate need. You know, just this past week, I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit to engage with a man that um, I met at the basketball court just over on Etowan Park. I was over there playing basketball with our foster son and my, my daughter and my wife, and we were playing some volleyball. And this guy was watching us. You could just tell he was enjoying himself watching us, a little bit older than me. And we just had occasional chats. And, and then eventually I sat down next to him. And I said, well, just tell me a bit about yourself. Where are you from? He was clearly not from around here. And uh, he told me he was from India. And he'd moved here for three years. And he was going to work for a local company, and his family hadn't moved in yet. They were still about a month behind him, and he was renting an apartment on the island. He asked me a few questions about that, and we talked about life a little bit, about his family. And I just had this sense in my head, you're meant to get his phone number, and you're meant to invite him for dinner. You're meant to get his phone number, you're meant to invite him for dinner. And trust me, friends, that was the last thing I wanted to do. All right? That just sounds weird, all right? Some guy like, oh, come for dinner, you know? But... Um, Eventually, I listened to the Holy Spirit, and I got his number. We exchanged numbers, and then I said, I'm going to invite you over for dinner. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to invite him over. You can hold me accountable to that. Because I knew that the Spirit was leading me to do that. Yes, was it uncomfortable? Heck yeah. You know, is it something that may not turn out great? I don't know. But I know there's inherent risk in being a believer. You see, this time I actually listened, though, and I obeyed, and I remembered that I am a missionary for Jesus. You might say, well, that, of course you say that, but no, it's hard for me too, friends. It's hard for each one of us to live that way. It's hard, but that's who we are. 
And where are we missionaries to? Well, it's wherever God calls you to be, all right? The same is true for you and me. Let's go back to our verse today and see what that shows us. And there are four places mentioned, aren't there? Do you see that in verse 8? Is it up there? Yeah. Uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's first, right? This was where the disciples were already. We know that from our story. And for us, it implies that God calls us first to go home begins in the home. That's where we begin as missionaries, okay? With our families, all right? If you live on your own, it, it might be more that it's your neighbors, okay? Or families further afield, all right? But we're called to go home to our families and to our neighborhood, all right? Whether it's next door neighbors or whether it's uh, our church family as well. I would include that as being our Jerusalem. Leading ministries such as our preschool ministry or our kids club or our grief share program or life groups, student camps and programs, uh, recovery ministries, We share the gospel in these places first. That's where we begin. But we don't stick there. We go further. Where's the second place they mention? Judea. Now, this broadens the scope a little bit, okay? Judea is the region within which Jerusalem is found. For us, the equivalent you might think of of being on Daniel Arm would be Berkeley County, perhaps. Or if you're thinking of Charleston, it would be the Tri-County area. And it would include our workplace. Many of you don't work here on the island. You work somewhere further afield, right? And so you go out into Judea each day into your workplace. Or maybe you go to school somewhere beyond here. Or maybe you go to college somewhere beyond here. You're going out into your Judea. And this is the place where we would go maybe to different stores as well or restaurants. That's where we're called to go next to bring the gospel. Where's the third place? Even further afield. This is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's not a place that true Jews wanted to go. Trust me, there was a lot of prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. And we don't have time to talk about that now, but just trust me on that one. And it's interesting It eventually takes persecution to get the disciples to leave Jerusalem and go out to Samaria. That's what it takes. It takes persecution, fear of losing their lives to leave and go to the Samaritans. We'll learn more about that later on in our sermon series. But, you know, I get it. It's hard to leave a place of comfort, right? A place that you love. It's like a bit like trying to get a person from Holy Cross Daniel Island to leave the island to go to an event on Holy Cross at Sullivan's Island, right? <laughs> Trust me, I've tried for seven years. It's really hard to get you guys to drive 20 minutes down the road. But maybe for us, it's a bit more like heading upstate, right? It's a bit like heading out to the Midlands or to the upstate. We're also called to go there, whether that's through church planting, whatever that might be. And then the fourth and final place is where? The end of the earth. This is what we tend to think of when we think of missionaries, okay? When I said missionary earlier, you thought Philippines, China, Africa, right? You didn't think, oh, I'm a missionary. It's because we tend to think, well, they go to the end of the earth. But this is the fourth place where missionaries go, not the only place, all right? For me... um, It was to go to another country, and I think that's generally what it is. And it took a lot to persuade me to move to America. I know you all think it's amazing. I was not convinced, okay? I'd never been here. Well, when I came to Monday, I was like, yeah, could go either way. In fact, even when I was offered a great job back in 2002 to come and be the head youth pastor at Holy Cross on Sullivan's Island, I didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. And I told them, I literally told them in the interview why they shouldn't hire me. I literally told them four reasons. I said, I've got four reasons why you shouldn't hire me. And there were various things, you know, but in general it was about I would have to leave all that I knew. I would be leaving the comfort of my hometown. I would be leaving my family, leaving my growing reputation, and starting all over again. And it took a work of the Spirit in the end to convince me to come. And that's a story for another time. 
But as Christians, we have to be open to the fact that God may call us to leave our homes. He might call you to leave Daniel Island, or Canehoy, or East Cooper, or Charleston, or South Carolina, and yes, even America, for the sake of the kingdom. God may be calling some of you to leave today. You might be listening, or you might be doing this, right? La, 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 don't want to hear that. Or he may do so in the future. He may want you to be a witness somewhere very different than this place. The question is, are you open to that? Are you open to that? Well, just like uh, last week at this stage, you might say, but Jonathan, I can't do that. And just like this time last week, I will say, well done, you're right, you can't. You cannot do it. But the good news is that Jesus can, right? Jesus can do it. And while he may have ascended to heaven, as we're celebrating today, and while he may be sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is still present here on earth through his Holy Spirit. Jesus is here with us today by his Holy Spirit. And not only that, but because of Jesus' ascension, we can be confident that Jesus is interceding for us. Just a fancy way of saying he's praying for us. He's praying for you and for me. And if anyone was to say to me, hey, Jonathan, who do you want to pray for you? I'd be like, yeah, Jesus, please. Give me Jesus. I want him praying for me. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is praying for us. He prays for us right now as we meet right here. He's praying. He's praying for Jay, especially for Jay. (laughs) Trust me. He's praying for Travis. Yeah. He's praying for Chris. He's praying for Brad. He's praying for Laura. He's praying for Kendall. He's praying for Marshall. He's praying for each and every single one of us in this room. And that's good news, friends. That is really good news. And I believe that one of the main things that he's praying for each one of us is that we will respond to his call to live as missionaries in the world, to accept that identity that we are missionaries. We are missionaries wherever he puts us. And we will, that we will fully enter into the adventure story that awaits us. You know, as I look around our community, Daniel Island and beyond as well, it's amazing how many people are quietly dying inside. Quietly dying inside. I don't just mean people not here. People even within our churches as well are quietly dying inside. And it's because people are longing for adventure, right? They're longing for adventure, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. John Aldridge writes this, Adventure, with all its requisite danger and wildness, is a deeply spiritual longing written into the soul of man. Think of Christopher McCandless, right? And when longings go unfilled, we look to satisfy them with other things. Money, power, sex, religious duty, educational achievement, sports, food, alcohol, drugs, etc. But none of them will ever succeed. Maybe temporarily it will seem like they do, but they will not in the long term. No, only by letting go of control and letting God work through us in the power of the Spirit, living on mission in His his world each day, bringing the good news of Jesus and His kingdom in word and deed, will we experience true fulfillment in this life. As we step out and we take that risk, that risk into this adventure He's calling us. So as we close today, I want to do something a little different once again. I'm going to ask you to stand again. Let's stand. And again, it's real simple. I'm going to ask for God to give you a gift. So put out your hands like he's going to give you a gift. Right? Real easy, just like we did last week. And I'm going to pray for us, okay? And I want to invite you to respond by asking God to show you where in particular he's calling you to be a missionary. So let's close our eyes. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Come move in this room. We long for a fresh move of your Spirit among us. Come breathe like the wind that blows across the oceans, Lord Jesus, in this very place. Come settle on our heads like tongues of fire, as we'll hear about next week, Lord Jesus, and fill us to overflowing, that we might hear where you are calling us to go. Whether it's in Jerusalem, perhaps to a particular person in our family, perhaps to a particular ministry in our church, perhaps to a particular neighbor. Would you make that clear to us, Lord Jesus, who that person is? Nudge us by your spirit. Maybe it's Judea, perhaps a particular person at work, school, college, wherever it might be. Help us be open to your nudging now and throughout this week. Who you're asking us to bring the gospel to. Maybe to Samaria. Perhaps it's someone you're prejudiced against. Perhaps someone you hold anger in your heart towards and you haven't forgiven. Would you help us to bring the gospel to them and to that relationship this week as well, Lord Jesus? Or maybe it's much further beyond. Perhaps he's calling you to short-term or long-term mission, a life living for him in another country perhaps. Would you give us ears to hear, Lord Jesus? Lord, would you reveal to us where you are calling us to go in the power of your spirit? Where is it you are already at work and you long for us to partner with you? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.